The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. So guess what? When people say, well, what about all this evil in the world and why does God allow all this evil? We spend a trillion dollars protecting each other from ourselves. Are we really going to blame God for the evil in the world when we could do so much to, to, to rid human suffering if there wasn't something wrong with us? So the question is, not only what's wrong with us, but who can we trust to fix us? Rice Brooks explains why he believes knowing the gospel is every person's greatest human right. Today. I'm James Robinson. This is Betty. Betty, we went to see a movie that really was captivating. It was called God is Not Dead. You like it? Mm -hmm. Powerful, wasn't it? Yes. As student, he stood up and that professor got moved. And then the professor, uh, Sorbo, that played the mm -hmm. professor, you know, Hercules, <laughs> he was here in the studio. And, you know, he was, he was really on fire about it. He, he was uh, wanting everybody to see it. He did a great job. Well, the man that wrote the book, God is Not Dead, is Rice Brooks. And the movie then came from the book. And now then there's been another movie. Uh, so it just keeps inspiring people. But Rice Brooks, I met him first when he was doing campus ministries. I was a good friend of uh, Bill Bright. And, uh, you know, I, I, so I knew campus ministries. But then I was also a friend of uh, uh, Maranatha Ministries. And, and they were doing college ministries. And Rice Brooks and I crossed paths there years ago. Uh, we were somewhat younger back then. <laughs> and uh, he's just continued amazingly to touch people all over the world. He's got a, a ministry that's called Every Nation Family of Churches, which is where he establishes uh, churches all over the world. But he's established the campus ministries, which in a way is like a church outreach. But he's become a very effective writer, and uh, this is a new book that he handed to me at our church gateway where he was uh, sharing recently. And I just loved seeing him because the main reason that I wanted you to meet him is because I have seen the fruit of the ministry of the love of God through him on pastors and church leaders that I consider great leaders, Christ-like leaders, anointed, empowered leaders. And so I said, well, I want to bring you on. This, this, I don't know if this is going to be another like God is not dead, but this is big. He's talking about uh, the human right. What is that? We talk about human rights all the time. Well, how about welcoming Rice Brooks to life today, would you? Thank you. Rice, good to see you. Thank you. Yeah. That, the, the movie really went over well. You know, there have been some Christian movies that have done well, and that's one of them that's done exceptional. Yeah, it was a, um, I was actually writing the book to basically give the evidence for God because of this phenomenon that uh, seven out of 10 young people will leave high school and go to college or university and lose their faith. So even though I worked on campus, when you start looking at big picture, you say, what is this happening, this trend where you go from being a Christian young person and everything's fine, you get to college and you call home and tell your parents you don't believe in God anymore. So as I was writing this evidence for God and explaining the problem of this, I told a friend of mine who was a businessman, I said, this is what's going on and this is why I'm writing the book. And he said, that needs to be a movie. Wow. So he called the movie company that came to Nashville and um, 
I begin to explain this very phenomenon, this, this trend of what's happening. And so my friend uh, wrote a predominant check to pay for the movie, and uh, we just thought it would be mm. a little old thing. And so next thing you know, it's a very small budget. Uh, not all the critics were that happy with it, but the message was uh, right. struck a nerve. Mm. And, and Kevin so, really enjoyed doing it. And it affected him, I think. Don't you feel like it did? Yeah, he was pretty upset that he had to die at the end. And I didn't like that either. I kept telling the screenwriters, I said, don't kill the atheist. I said, this is going to be the, per this is the perfect setup of what they expect Christians to do. So my main role was to kind of give uh, that these are scenarios that happen. Those classroom scenes from that first movie were basic exchanges that happen all the time, which I think we need to be able to give a simple defense. You don't have to have a, you don't have to be some very, you know, genius person to give a defense for the faith. But as we talked about before, there's so much evidence for God around us that with a little bit of effort, with a little bit of understanding, I think we can all learn to make the case for God in a very effective way. You know, I don't know how any fisherman could ever believe in the Big Bang theory of something positive organized coming out of it. Because if you ever drop a tackle box or just lay down three rods with lures on them and try to get them all unscrambled and get the lures back together, you realize it's going to take some intelligence, some oversight to ever get this well, mess Well, actually, around. the Big Bang, what's interesting is the Big Bang was a derogatory term coined by an atheist. Mm. Because he said, because from Aristotle to Einstein, everybody thought that the universe was eternal. So all of a sudden, here comes this theory that the universe had a beginning. And he says, if you say the universe began, this big bang, he said it on a talk show. He said, you're letting the divine foot in the door. So I think it's not, <laughs> rather than fighting those terms and science is saying, well, like, let's look at what the evidence says and see whether it points to a creator or away from a creator. And I think it's overwhelmingly pointing to a creator. And I think that's why all we need is a little bit of coaching you know, when skeptics say, well, where's your evidence? They always say, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? It's sitting here. And I say, well, you know, if you're looking for Steve Jobs, you wouldn't have found him by breaking down an iPhone. I mean, God's not a particle. He's not a wave. So what you're looking for is the intelligent mind behind the universe. And so whether it's the universe beginning or the information and the human DNA, there's a, there's a code inside of you and all of us that is a sentence. So, I mean, if you got a text from somebody and you looked up and it's like nonsense, you realize they maybe sat on their phone and sent you a text. Well, what if you got a, a, a text from somebody three billion letters long, ordered in sequence? That's the information in the human DNA. So, and then there's the moral law. There's something in all of us that we know that there's a right and wrong. So, when skeptics say, well, can, you know, can an atheist be good? I say, sure. Can a religious person be bad? We know that's true. <laughs> so why can, a, why can an atheist do good things and a religious person be bad? Because God made them both. Mm -hmm. I mean, just because I know there's a police and I know the speed limit doesn't mean I'll slow down. So <laughs> just because we know God is real and know his law doesn't mean we're going to do it. So all of that, though, points to the ultimate evidence, which is the gospel, which is this. Is, is that God cares about injustice so much that he came down personally to deal with it in Christ. And so the discussion is not, not just kind of quibbling over the beginning of the universe or pointing to DNA, all those things. If somebody's really wanting evidence, then we'll talk about that. But ultimately, what is the ultimate evidence? It's, it's, it's Christ in human flesh, living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died. And then in history, he's raised from the dead. And that means that because the gospel is rooted in history, is the Anglican missiologist uh, Leslie Newbigin said, it's public truth. 
It's not some privatized truth that is just our own subjective experience, which is important that we have one, but the gospel is public truth. Therefore, it is a basic human right, if not the most important human right, that you know what it is. So well, that's, that's, that, the, yeah. that's the long and short of it. Well, you wrote the book, The Human Right, to point out the fact that there is no greater human right than to hear the gospel of Jesus, right? Yes, sir. And uh, if they're going to hear it, how are they going to hear it unless they preach? Bottom line is, how do they even go preach unless somebody sins? I try to tell all our viewers, you know, you may feel like I'm not a famous speaker, not a gifted speaker, not a great communicator. I'm not a real courageous witness. They just need to Google you. Oh, you're talking about yourself. I was going to say Google you. You've, <laughs> if, they, you know. if, they say, if they say all of that, but what do I do that's effective? Yes. Well, the bottom line, it's just like even right now. The very fact I'm sitting here, somebody sitting out there loves God enough, loves people enough that they provide the airtime because they have to pay for it. We're, we're drilling water wells all over the world. We've been drilling now for more than 20 years, 25 years, and these are the people that drill them. We talk about here's a need, and they say, I'll meet that need. I'll give a cup of water. I'll give a well of water. That's love. So it's that love, the sender of the gospel is the bottom line. But everybody needs to be participating in getting people this human right. Take the gospel to them. The whole world needs to hear it. And yes, I'm, I'm being told there are about 2 billion people that have never really heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. Do you think that's pretty right. accurate? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. More than yes. It's a... Uh... Well, if you, if you believe, the reason why we call it the human right is because it's the only thing on the planet that can deal with injustice at its source. So if the source of the, of, of the, source of the injustice is human evil, then how do you change human evil? I mean, if you took the defense budget of the world, it's about a trillion dollars. You can actually, you can actually give everyone, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember the World Health Organization, but I think for 50 billion a year, you can basically give people clean, a food. You can, get, feed it, you can feed the world for 50 billion. You can give them clean water and sanitation for 100 billion. So for 15% of the world's $1 trillion collective defense budget, for just 15% of it, you could give everybody clean, uh, clean water and sanitation and feed them. And, and then for every dollar you spend for clean water and sanitation, you get seven back in terms of the health savings. So guess what? When people say, well, what about all this evil in the world and why does God allow all this evil? We spend a trillion dollars protecting each other from ourselves. And that doesn't count police, security, judicial proceedings, and all the ancillary costs. And yet, are we really going to blame God for the evil in the world when we could do so much to, to, to rid human suffering if there wasn't something wrong with us. So the question is, not only what's wrong with us, but who can we trust to fix us? Everybody, education, everybody's promising to fix you and fix us. So the question is, who can we trust to fix us? And this is what the God, this is the good, this is why it's good news. Is that God becomes man to deal with injustice at its source. So uh, 2010 was the worst oil disaster in our American history, right off the, the as Gulf we say Gulf. in Tennessee, the Gulf, mm -hmm. not the Gulf. We kind of take that L out. But uh, 200,000 gallons of oil dumping into the Gulf of Mexico for 89 days. Well, you can try to clean the mess up and manage the river of sludge and save the birds. But ultimately, you had to stop that. That, that, that leak at its source. And this is why Jesus said it's out of the heart of a person comes all of this evil. And so we come, Christ offers you a new heart. He offers you a new beginning. And that's the hope of the world. That's why we believe minimally every human being on the face of the earth deserves to hear it. It's like if you're arrested in our country, the police are required to read you your rights. Now you can decide to ignore that or you know just do your, whatever you want to do, but minimally you have a right to hear. 
And if you believe the gospel is really true, then minimally shouldn't people have a right to hear it, know what it is, and then either accept it or reject it. I'm, I'm constantly telling Christians, as much as it is important to know your right to believe, mm -hmm. it's even more important to know is what you believe is right. In other words, the gospel is really true. Jesus really did live, he did exist. And he not only did exist, but he died in history. And his resurrection happened in a place where it can be investigated historically. So that's why we, we, we believe in what's called public truth. I, I was thinking with this missiologist I mentioned, he was a, a missionary in India for 34 years, Leslie Newbegin. When he got back to England in the 70s, he saw Christianity was in retreat. And his diagnosis was it's because the people perceive Christianity as private truth, not public truth. It's like here in Texas, you know, you see old country boy says, yeah, my religion's personal. And you're thinking, well, it's so personal. You haven't discussed it with yourself yet, <laughs> you know. So everybody has this subjective kind of, well, I can't really explain it. But really, people need to have the explanation of not just the existence of God, which they basically know. They're just suppressing it. But really why this is true and why it's that Christianity stands or falls on one historical event. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then it's not true. So that's why I think they minimally have a right to know the truth of this message. All right, so you've written the book with the hope that people will receive what is their right. But for them to receive it, if I understand the gospel and biblical truth and the commission, we've been commissioned to deliver the gospel. Yes, sir. That everyone has a right to hear. But how are they going to hear if we don't preach? How are they going to preach if we don't send them? So there's no substitute for the witness. So is this book a source to inspire people to deliver what people have a right to hear? I, I hope, I, I would hope so. And I think beyond inspiration, it's give you the practical training of just, I mean, something simple. Um, just do you, can you memorize and, and summarize the gospel clearly? If you ask many people about the gospel, Christians will say, you say, do you know the gospel? Oh, I love the gospel. It's like saying, you know, how do you get to Austin? Oh, I love Austin. No, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, how do you get there? Mm -hmm. So if you can, just like as a Presbyterian, when I, growing up, I memorized the doxology, I memorized the Apostles' Creed. So the simple definition I would give is that the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he's the son of God. And he offers salvation and forgiveness of sins to everyone who will repent. That means to turn and trust in him. So I've been in conversations like that where I've been in arguments or discussions and I'd say, well, look, do you really, before we, we're talking about a lot of things, because when you talk about religion, it can get very expansive. I said, look, before we go, can I just explain the gospel to you and give them a simple summary of that? I was in an Uber. Is that what you just gave? I gave a simple summary. I, was do, I did that in an Uber, and the driver, I could tell, was a little annoyed. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, let me at least explain it so that you will at least know what you're rejecting. <laughs> and so I explained it like that, and I said, so I could tell he still wasn't interested. I said, I, I'll make a deal with you. I said, let's pray a practice prayer. And he kind of was driving, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, we're just going to practice. I said, now, in case one day you want to get saved, 
you'll at least remember what it sounds like <laughs> to do it. And he kind of looked at me and said, can you do that? You know, the, <laughs> he was kind of a skeptic, but he thought I was it. breaking some kind of rule. <laughs> so I just led him in a prayer that basically like rehearsed the gospel, that simple summary. What would you say? I just, I just said, God, I just what I read, you know, the, the gospel is the good news. Lord, I believe you became man in Christ, that you lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died in my place. Three days later, you rose from the dead, proving you're the son of God. And today I turn and trust you. So about halfway through making him do the practice prayer, the spirit hit him. And I just leaned up. I said, I guess it's not practice anymore. He goes, no, it's not wow. practice. <laughs> so the gospel has power. So if we can, if minimally we can, summarize it, explain it, and minimally know why it's true. The gospel is good news because it's true news. And the thing about it is this Jesus that died for us said, I sent another like me to live in you. So the Jesus that died and was raised is now alive to live in us in the power of the Holy Spirit and give us that love. And frankly, I believe that many of you who watch this program, you have that love flowing. And I believe when you see an opportunity to demonstrate that love, you want to do it. And I thank God for that. You know, Rice, if, if, if we've experienced his love in his life, I think there's a desire to share it. And I don't think we need to compare ourselves with how other people do it. You have really smooth and the way you presented that is very beautiful. They don't necessarily have to be able to do that. They can just talk about Jesus changed my life. I told Betty that I was a fatherless kid, you know, we're dating. And I said, but I gave my life to Jesus and Jesus is more real than the skin on my arm right here. And she looked at me and said, he's not real like that to me. Mm. He's just somebody I always heard about. Right. But in a few weeks, he became real. He sure did. <laughs> and we've been married 55 years, and she's one of the greatest demonstrations mm -hmm. of Jesus I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. But she was a little church girl, but had never mm -hmm. met Jesus. I feel like what you're doing here is not only pointing out the human right that's the greatest of all to hear the gospel, but the responsibility of all of us as Christians to deliver that gospel. True? Yes, sir. You appreciate this man. Isn't he a great, wonderful communicator? And that student that you wrote about in God is Not Dead, and that student we saw in that movie, witnessing old Kevin Sorbo, old Hercules, <laughs> the old atheist, that student was a witness for the gospel, and he was taken to the whole school. He didn't just hit that professor. He hit that whole school or university, and that can happen. I'm so grateful. Listen, the book is in the bookstores. I'll tell you this. We're in the last week right now of Water for Life, and I'm telling you, this changes everything. Uh, you're going to see something in a moment. I believe it's going to touch your heartstrings. Here, here's what I want you to know. You like to have the book? We're, we're giving away the book, The Miracles of Christ. Or I share with this a beautiful little brief, short book of miracles. But not only that I share, but our guests have shared over the years. It really be a blessing to you. We'll send it. You help us give water to these precious children and their families. And you want Rice Brooks' book, The Human Right? You ask for it, we'll send it to you to say thank you. I want you to see someone that's gonna express what we want and that's gratitude for love because the need is so great. You're gonna take joy meeting legitimate needs effectively. Here at Life Outreach, we constantly encounter heartbreaking need around the world. But there are times when we meet someone experiencing a depth of pain which stops us in our tracks. That's exactly what happened when we entered the home of Ing Torn, a mother who couldn't hold back her grief as she showed us the photo of her daughter who was recently taken by contaminated water. <laughs> Mm 
The heart-wrenching cries of this mother overwhelmed us. Eventually, she explained their tragic situation. Clean water. That's all it would take for this community to not only survive, but begin to thrive. Thanks to you, we were able to provide exactly that. I wish I was looking right into that sweet lady's eyes right now and tell you how happy we are. 6,000 times those wells have come up. Drilled by love because of the love of God in our heart. She wants that baby back. You know, we have a daughter in heaven. We look at her pictures a lot. Uh, I walk by her picture every night going to her bedroom. I, um, I remember how she came when she was weak from cancer and you'd had, uh, I'd had uh, knee surgery and got staph infection and I couldn't hardly yep, walk at all. <laughs> and she came and helped with Christmas decorations and her dad was too weak to help mom so she came down fighting cancer to help mom sure. during Christmas. Great party giver. We look at her pictures, and she loved that little baby. And you would have given us a cure for Robin. Yes, you would have. Somebody said, we got a perfect cure, you'd have rushed over to her. I know you would have. And that's what we can do. That's what we can do when we drill a water well for those precious little families. And you see it come in, that's hope. And she's happy, that smile. So different when she's looking at her baby, because she's seeing other people gonna have their babies live, their family live, grow up. So Betty, I'm believing everybody watching today is gonna help. This is the last week now in this emphasis, so we need a big surge. We're gonna 400 more wells this year, and we're just finishing out the next 200 of those 400 right now. So Lord, give us a miracle, and you're part of that miracle. Jesus talks about giving a cup of water as being significant. How significant would it be to give a well of water? Well, some of you can actually give a well. The average cost is $4,800. If you can do that, and you know some people tell me that's probably as great a joy as I've ever had. You know, we've had a lot of children do that, as you know. They'd go raise the money for a well, just kids. Well, could you give a well? Could you give part of a well and pray others join you, 1,200 or 2,400? I need another, or three more join. Most of the money, Betty, that comes for the wells comes from $48 gifts, that's the majority, and from $144. $48 gives 10 people water the rest of their life. 144 gives 30. That's how it breaks down. 
That's not an exaggeration. If you'll go online or dial that number and take your bank card, use it like a check, write a check, make the check to life, call us and tell us you're mailing it. And we have some gifts to send you. And Rice Brooks, when I was holding his book up and mentioning, you said something to me a while ago. You wanted our viewers to hear it. But oh, if, no, I mean, if first of all, this is incredible. So if, if, they, if they will give, then I'll just, I'll, I'll donate the book to... To, to say throw, thank you yeah, to them. Yes, to thank you to them and to participate so in this. So what he's saying is, because when we give you a book, we still do pay the publisher. What he's saying is, I got it covered. And that's going to be a whole lot more than a well. So what he's saying is, I'm, I'm loving you. I'm loving those people. And I want to add to the encouragement, this gift. And you'll be sharing the greatest gift, the gospel, but you'll also be sharing it not just in word, but in deed. Because we give water for life and share the water of life that inspired that gift. So please, right now, you make the gift God puts on your heart and know we're going to give you a great big thank you. Thank you for doing it. Today, a mother living in extreme poverty will do the unthinkable. Give her children dirty, disease-filled water that she knows could kill them. With no other choice, what's a mother to do? With your help, Clean water is on the way. Mission Water for Life provides a new beginning for thousands of children and their families, a bright future with better health. With your gift today, you can help drill 400 water wells in remote villages in 15 nations. Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five people. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10. $72 will provide for 15 people. And $144 will help provide life-giving water for 30 people for a lifetime. With your gift, we'll send you the miracles of Christ, what living beyond impossible looks like. Filled with scriptures, prayers, and stories of Jesus' miraculous power, James Robison adds insight about how to walk in faith and live beyond the impossible. With your gift of $100 or more, request the morning and evening coffee mug set. Each mug features beautiful artwork and scripture from Psalm 92.2, a wonderful reminder of God's faithfulness each day. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well. And you may request the beautiful Bridge of Faith framed canvas print by Thomas Kincaid. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online. Well, Betty and I just say from the bottom of our heart, thank you. And uh, we will be sending you the miracles of Christ, the coffee cups, if you give a well or $1,200 toward it, we send you the beautiful Bridge of Faith picture from Thomas Kincaid, the canvas. It's framed. I'm looking at it over here. We have it. And uh, I think you'll love having it. And Rice Brooks says, you give a well, give toward that well, you give a gift toward it. And he says, I'm going to make a gift to say thank you. And I appreciate him. Would you say thanks to Rice Brooks for giving us a lot of great things to inspire us as Christians. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being with us. God bless you and all you do. Thank you. All over the world. Thank all of you for watching. Thanks for sharing life.
Do you find it getting harder to be a Christian in today's culture? It has changed in this country. We're not Kansas anymore. The Way to Brave, tomorrow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.